Wait for it. It's episode 94 of the Divorce Resource Guide podcast, and today we're going to be talking about holistic wealth planning and how it could be just the thing for you. Welcome to the Divorce Resource Guy podcast with Jason Lavoie, aka the Divorce Resource Guy, a former divorce attorney turned divorce coach, talking about all things divorce, including the good, bad, and the ugly from an attorney's point of view. Remember, you're not alone. And now, your host, Jason Lavoy. Hello, hello, and welcome to this episode of the Divorce Resource Guy podcast. I am your host, Jason Lavoy, aka the Divorce Resource Guy. Today, we are going to be talking with a special guest, Daniel Axelrod. Let me tell you a little bit about him. He works with wealth management, um, and he works with a diverse group of individuals and families with a unique and complex wealth who are going through life transitions. For example, um, you know, one of one of these things could be an inheritance. Um, that's a life transition, uh, a transition to post-divorce life, which is if you're listening to this podcast, I'm assuming you're going through a divorce and you're going to have a post-divorce life. What's that going to look like from a financial point of view? Planning is everything. If you've been listening to me at all, right? I always talk about planning, um, reaching a retirement milestone or selling a closely held business. These are all examples of how Daniel can help you uh, plan from a financial point of view, but he does it in a special way, which is why I'm having him on the show. So let's get right into it. I want you to hear it, not from me, but from him. Let me introduce to you, Daniel Axelrod. Dan, welcome to the show. I'm excited to have you on. Thanks so much, Jason. Thank you for having me. So um, I keep saying this every time I interview somebody, um, but I actually have not yet changed it. So I'm going to just roll with it again with you. The first question I usually ask people is, you know, for those who are not super familiar with you and what you do, give everybody a little bit of background history about, you know, where you came from, you know, how you got to do what you're doing now. Um, and so I've been meaning to change that first question up for some time, but I just, I guess I'm not getting around to it. So <laughs> that's going to be the first question for you is let everybody little to know, let everybody know a little bit about yourself and kind of how you got to this point. Absolutely. So I'm a born and raised New Yorker, uh, born in New York City, grew up in Westchester, went to college down in Atlanta at Emory University in the undergraduate business school, uh, moved back to New York shortly thereafter and started my career in finance and joined the firm probably about eight or nine years ago. Um, so I've been at Bernstein Private Wealth Management for quite some time, um, launched my own practice uh, probably about five years ago at this point. Um, a certified financial professional uh, as well, which was, you know, for me important to get that certificate to, um, you know, really have a wide, broad-based understanding of all aspects of financial planning. I realized I said it wrong for the certified financial planner. Um, and, uh, you know, so that really covers all aspects of estate planning, retirement planning, income tax planning. And although at Bernstein Private Wealth, we're not legal advisors or tax advisors, um, and we explicitly focus on holistic wealth planning and investment management. Uh, for me, as a fiduciary, it's important to be able to understand all aspects of my clients' financial lives so that <clears throat> when I'm working with their other financial partners, whether it's their, you know, their attorneys, their accountants, uh, their insurance folks, whomever, that you know, we all have a baseline understanding of one another's business. We all have open lines of communication as well so that we can advance our mutual client's best interests 100% of the time. Now, real quick, you mentioned fiduciary. Uh, 
And I bring this up every time I talk with a financial planner um, mm. because I think it's important for people to really understand it. The Some financial planners, and I don't know what the designation is, a certified financial planner, or it, you'll tell me if I'm wrong, mm -hmm. but they, they are not fiduciaries. Um, and they, you know, typically, I guess the knock on them would be that, you know, they're just, they, they earn commissions on investments that they sell. And that that's really that their main goal is to sell you stuff that they can make commissions on. That's, but then there's other sort of, there's other financial planners who are fiduciaries. Mm -hmm. um, and that's what you are, correct? Correct. And, and so what is that difference? What does the fiduciary mean? Yeah, so they're really two steps on the same ladder. Uh, the fiduciary aspect is higher on the, that moral slash ethical ladder. Um, so the simple way that I like to describe it is, if you're following the suitability standard, I just have to recommend investment that I believe is suitable to you based on your age, your risk tolerance, your time horizon, uh, what your financial goals and objectives are. So as long as that investment's suitable for you and I recommend that investment, great. I've done my job. Now, if you look at it from the fiduciary lens, let's say we have two different investment strategies that have the exact same investment objective, same level of risk, same everything, but one of them is twice as expensive as the other. I could theoretically recommend the much more expensive strategy to you because it's still a suitable investment for you, but I'm, I would be earning twice that amount on that, on that sale. You know, we don't charge trading fees or commissions based on how we operate. That's a, a discussion for another time and how our fees work. Um, but as a fiduciary where I have to act in my client's best interest by law 100% of the time, it's clearly not in your best interest to pay double the price for the exact same service. So right. I would not legally be able to recommend that same service that is twice as expensive. I would be recommending the other service that is half the cost. Which is why from, and I'm definitely not a finance person. Uh, I'm a legal divorce person, but I would always kind of suggest to people, yeah, you probably want a fiduciary on top of everything else just for that reason. Is that, is that uh, too uh, simplistic of a, an approach you think? No, I think, listen, there's, there's the, a lot of change in the industry over the last several decades. Um, you know, a lot of folks still think of wealth advisor, well, People still think of the term stockbroker, which is like an old, old term where I pick up the phone, call you and say, hey, I want to sell you the stock. You know, I think it has a huge upside value and so on and so forth and, you know, potentially pitching you on a single stock to own. Um, and then the term financial advisor came around where the advice you're providing is, um, you know, more holistic somewhat around finance, not just investments. And then from there, the term wealth advisor sort of grew into you know, a more holistic advisor who's not providing advice just on money management, but all aspects of someone's wealth. Um, and over time, there's been this shift from, you know, back then with stock brokers, there wasn't really much of a suitability standard. Then that sort of grew into the, you know, the main moral ethical function of an advisor. And then as that continued to advance over time, the new fiduciary standard has become obviously much more popular. We've been fiduciary since 1967, since the firm was founded. Um, and there, I'm sure you've heard or read about in the news that there's been a lot of, not as much recently, but a lot of uh, back and forth 
in you know Congress between lobbyists and lawmakers about establishing fiduciary standards and having all money managers follow this fiduciary standard. And a lot of uh, larger financial institutions have really lobbied against that um, for one reason or another. We as wealth managers and holistic financial planners, you know, we don't have any potential conflicts of interest that these larger financial institutions may have where they you know, have a proprietary trading book. So they're buying and selling on behalf of their own assets. Uh, they right. have an investment banking arm. They sell insurance or annuities. They uh, you know, underwrite mortgages. So more regulation or restrictions for a larger financial behemoth is going to become more cumbersome for them. Whereas we stick to what we do best, avoid the potential conflicts of interest, rely on other folks to do what they're experts at, and that allows us to operate as fiduciaries. Yeah, no, I like that. You kind of uh, adhere to what I adhere to as a you know, a, a lifestyle and a professional divorce coach is the KISS principle, you know, keep it mm -hmm. simple, stupid. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yep. Stay, just pick a lane and you stay in your lane. Um, so I like that. So if anybody has any questions uh, about what fiduciaries do and uh, other financial planning at the end of this, you can reach out to Dan and I'm sure he'll be happy to talk to you. Um, all right. Let's, let's steer the train back on track just a little, but I wanted to get cover that because I thought it was important. Um, so let's talk about how you work in the financial field, uh, in the context of divorce, right? Mm -hmm. You help planning, uh, you help people plan who are getting divorced. Um, and you know, when people get divorced, uh, depending on the situation, it could be a lot of planning that needs to be done, whether it's, you know, future, uh, finances, estate planning, businesses, uh, you know, that were, you know, joint businesses during the marriage. There's a whole bunch of different variables. So I want, and I thought it would be a good idea to talk about a few of the main common ones that, you know, you deal with uh, every day and, and kind of talk about how financial planning works within those contexts. So, you know, the first one we could talk about is, you know, amicable, we will call it amicable divorce, right? And from your world, what would what constitutes an amicable divorce? Yeah, so it's a really good question. Taking one quick step back, um, so my practice specifically focuses on this niche of working with folks who are going through some type of transition in their personal and professional lives. And that manifests itself in many different ways. But if you think about it, going through divorce is a pretty significant transition, right? Your pre-divorce financial situation is going to look likely very different than your post-financial, right? post-divorce financial situation. So in order to ensure that you're set up for financial success and financial independence, best thing to do is plan, um, as always. And the way that we look at things through the prism, you know, from through the lens of where we sit is that we're not investing purely for investing sake. You know, we are here to educate our clients, to serve as a mentor to our clients, to help them through it, you know, a difficult, tumultuous time of their lives where money is certainly a subject that is very emotional, uh, it's very powerful, and it has the potential to create serious complications or issues amongst family members, uh, and in this case, a married couple. So, you know, in, in a what we might call an amicable uh, separation or divorce where 
both parties are, you know, still maintain a good relationship, but they're dividing their assets um, in such a way where there's not much, uh, you know, tension, let's say, and it's a bit more, let's say, straightforward. Um, think about it. You take two and divide it. You have two separate pictures. So where we really start is, you know, how will whomever we're working with, whether it's one spouse or the other, how will that spouse need to adjust their lifestyle to ensure they don't outlive their assets? Um, and okay. what does that look like over, you know, depending on that individual's age, if they're, you know, in their forties, hopefully they're living for another 50 years. If they're in their sixties or seventies, that's, you know, hopefully another 30 plus years. And that's a long time horizon to plan for that you're going to have to make some adjustments to your financial lifestyle to ensure that you remain solvent over that time. Now, do you usually work with one of the spouses or in an amicable divorce situation, would you work with both? Um, it's entirely dependent on how I, I'm brought in. It's entirely dependent on how the couple feels. Um, you know, I, between all my clients, confidentiality is of utmost importance. So not one client, unless they come to a, you know, a joint client event and they realize, oh, you're Dan's client, you're Dan's right. client. Um, you know, no one knows that any information about another client. So confidentiality being of utmost importance. So I've had some instances where um, a couple said, well, you know, I want to totally set our lives are becoming separate. I want to totally separate things. I, you know, understand the confidentiality principle, but I still don't feel comfortable having, you know, my assets under the same roof as your assets. That's totally understandable and totally okay. Uh, I've had other instances where in, in a very amicable parting of the ways, um, both parties very much appreciated what Bernstein stood for, appreciated the work that we do, uh, the way that we operate and sort of spoke amongst one another and said, well, just because I'm interested, you shouldn't not benefit from Bernstein's great services and vice versa. Um, so while you know they won't necessarily know about each other's assets or allocation or investment strategies and this and that, um, you know their their relationship is good enough that they don't want to put the other person uh, at a disadvantage. Let's say. So now, correct me if I'm wrong on this. It sounds like if two people are getting divorced um, and as a, a marital unit during the marriage, they had um, their financial planning done with you. Um, now they're getting divorced. They still want to stick with you, but each spouse would in theory have their own portfolio, right? Once it's divided, mm -hmm. their own portfolio in their name, just managed with you. I mean, is that basically how it would work? That's correct. And so, you know, the, the crux of our planning, and now this is where it sort of separates a bit. Um, so we have a whole wealth planning group that's made up of former accountants, estate planning attorneys, uh, every professional that you can ever think of that no longer practice uh, within their industries. And we have brought them in-house and they sort of serve as intellectual sources of capital. Um, and what they've done is over many, many years, they've built out this proprietary wealth forecasting tool uh, that we utilize and we rely on very, very heavily. 
It's an unbelievably sophisticated tool that um, you know, we can look at very simplistic wealth scenarios and sort of just create a very basic financial blueprint. So you know, allowing someone to pre-experience their financial future based on certain decisions they make today. Or we can get into really nitty gritty, complicated estate tax planning strategies and income tax planning strategies. So this is really where we start and where things might diverge um, in the sense that, you know, we can look at someone that might need to downsize their home, let's say when their youngest child finishes college um, and, you know, they'll sell a home for a certain amount and buy a new home, or they might have to change their spending profile because maybe one spouse wasn't really planning on going back to work while the other spouse was planning on maintaining their, their work style. Um, so you take a, a, a cohesive unit, as you mentioned, that has one you know, plan with two individuals and that becomes separate where there's now two separate individuals with two separate plans and their earnings potential or their, um, their goals could be entirely different where you, know, you could have one person who says, you know what, I don't need this ritzy glitzy lifestyle. I'm much more simplistic. I don't need a $5 million home. Uh, I don't need to spend this much money versus the other who might say, well, I, I really enjoy this lifestyle. I wanna maintain this home. I wanna maintain this level of spending. And so we can dimension for both parties separately, what that looks like, what decisions they might need to make, what changes they might need to make over time. Um, and again, we're kind of providing them with a, a level of confidence and comfortability to know that they're able to accomplish what they want to accomplish, or maybe they're not, and they might have to spend a little bit less than they thought they could. Um, right. The crux of it. But, but, it, but in essence, and this is why I guess there's no conflict of interest there uh, on your part, is that um, once the divorce is done and the assets are distributed, then it's just a matter of let's just say the wife is going to have her own personal financial plan based on her circumstances and what she has. And, and the same goes for the husband. And depending on what they have and what they want will dictate how you plan for each of them individually at that point. Completely. There's yeah. not a one size fits all solution for anyone. You know, each client has different background, different goals, different objectives, different risk tolerance, different uh, time horizons of investing. So there's really no one size fits all. And every wealth plan we put together, every investment solution that we construct to accomplish and execute on that plan is entirely customized and highly tailored to each individual. Yeah, no, I love that. Um, so let's talk about you know, some of the main questions that people need answers to when they when they come to you and they're going through a, a transition such as a divorce you know we could start using like the amicable divorce uh, scenario you know like what are some of the burning questions that you have to that you commonly address yeah um you know i, I think i hit briefly on before you know how and when will someone need to adjust their lifestyle to ensure they remain solvent Right. Um, and what that looks like. And one thing that we're able to identify is what we call your core capital. And you hear people all the time say, oh, what's my number? You know, what, how much do I need now to be good and set for the rest of my life? And that's what we call your core capital, which is how much money do you need today to sustain your lifestyle throughout retirement? 
So that might be for one person based on how much they spend, that might be $5 million, that might be 10, that might be 50. You know, it's, it's like I said, entirely dependent on the lifestyle one lives. And then anything above that core capital amount is what we call your surplus capital or, or opportunity capital, where those assets can be earmarked for things like legacy planning or philanthropic planning. Um, and you know, you might be able to take on a little bit more risk with those types of assets because they're not necessarily supporting your lifestyle. If those assets weren't incorporated in the picture, it wouldn't change your lifestyle. Right. I kind of um use the analogy if you put whatever amount of money that pile is, let's just say it's a million dollars for ease of conversation, right? And and you put it in a pile in your backyard and you lit on lit it on fire. Not recommended. But if yeah. you did that and it just went up in smoke, it really wouldn't affect what you need for your future financially. Correct. It, it would obviously prevent you from accomplishing whatever your philanthropic goal might be, right. whatever your wealth transfer goal might be. But for you, Jason, during your life, you don't need that those dollars to live the lifestyle that you want to live based on how much you need on an annual basis to spend from or, you know, including traveling and this and that and all aspects of your life. Um, it's, you know, it's gravy. Exactly. It's the cherry, the cherry on top. <laughs> exactly. Or the cherries. <laughs> it's a good problem to have. Yeah, um, definitely is. Now, this just came to my mind. So before we, we move on, but what, is there a limit or what kind of, um, you know, a state do you typically work with when you, when you help people? Yeah. Um, it ranges. Uh, so it depends as, which is the answer to a lot of questions. Um, our investment minimums are a million dollars of assets, liquid assets to be invested at the firm. Um, you know, we work with some clients who are right at that minimum. I work with some clients who are worth hundreds of millions of dollars manage a, a sleeve of their portfolio, all their portfolio. So like I said, it's not a one size fits all. Um, but you know, the more value add we can provide is the more complexity in someone's wealth and the more uniqueness in their wealth. So think of, you know, multi-generational wealth that, right. you know, that could range from, I'd say my, my, my typical client size is somewhere of assets invested at first and somewhere between five to 20 million. Uh, so it's a, it's a pretty wide range, although I have clients in the one to five million space, a $20 million and greater space. Um, but typically the more complexity, the more value add we can provide because there's a, typically with that more complexity, a lot more issues that need to be thought through, um, a lot more planning that needs to be done, a lot of ways that we can move assets out of someone's estate for future purposes of reducing you know, a future estate tax bill. Uh, or funding, let's say you have an entrepreneur who's a serial entrepreneur and they want to set aside funds for their children to instill that entrepreneurial spirit in them. You know, that's another layer of multi-generational wealth transfer. Um, so I'd say that, you know, typical median is that five to 20 million space. And maybe you just answered the question, but I, I want to follow it up just in case it, I was misunderstanding you. When you say levels of complexity, like what are you talking about? Like what is a, what makes a, a, a situation complex versus, you know, more run of the mill? Yeah. So uh, I'll give you another example of sort of a, of a 
divorce case study. Um, you know, I was working recently with a young couple there. I mean, they're not in their 20s, but they're they're mid to late 40s. Uh, so still a very young couple. They're co-founders of a company. Uh, companies EBITDA is somewhere around 5 million. So they're, you know, pretty sizable business. Um, and they are, they were considering a sale of somewhere between 25 to $35 million. Um, their, you know, their taxable assets, their liquid assets on the smaller side, you know, with that business sale, it's a huge aspect of their liquidity and they own this company jointly and they're going through divorce proceedings and, okay, so now we have liquid assets that needed to be divided, but now we have a business as well that's obviously more illiquid. Um, and then to throw another layer of complexity on top of that, we're contemplating a sale of that business. And we were contemplating a sale prior to uh, coming to the conclusion that we wanted to, to you know, separate. Part ways, yeah. um, so that kind of falls into another level of complexity where of course, the, a key question is still, you know, what that core capital is. So how much wealth does one individual need to meet their spending needs? In this case, over a long time horizon, because they're in their late 40s. Um, and, you know, let's say they have different types of offers. So there might be a lump sum buyout or an installment sale, um, or maybe they can continue to co in the business and participate in a sale in another five years if they're able to grow the business. But you know, co-own as a non-married couple. Um, and that basically gets into clearly a whole other layer of complexity because now you're introducing a business sale, different types of uh, deal structures. You're looking at, you know, should one individual buy out the other one prior to the sale or at, you know, there's so many different questions and thoughts that, um, you know, we can uncover but it's sort of up to us to think these things through and ask these, you know, thoughtful, open-ended questions to understand, you know, we don't want either of those parties to feel uncomfortable in any situation. And we want ideally to allow them to both maximize their after-tax wealth as a result of this liquidity then. Um, so how do we, you know, keep all parties happy, but also have both parties maximize their potential from this liquidity event? I say that's a great answer to, uh, the question is, what does complexity mean? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that was, and, that's, and that's not even all that. It's definitely much more complex, but I've yeah, no, I hear you. Questions that are even more complex than that. No, I'm sure, and that's why it's great that um, I love what you do, and I love that you come at it from the you know not just the finance point of view, but you add that holistic spin to it um, because it's important. And and I think right, everybody's situation is so unique that that extra level of attention that maybe other people don't give. Um, I think that's what makes you great. Um, and that's why I wanted you to be on the show and, and kind of tell everybody more about what you did. Um, and obviously the message for today for everybody listening is, you know, planning is super important. I say it all the time with divorce, right? You need to plan for your divorce. And this is an aspect of planning. Um, so don't delay. Um, and if you are listening to this and you feel like you need to plan for your financial future, um, then Dan might be somebody you want to talk to. Um, now, with that in mind, Dan, where can people find you? Um, and what's the best way to get in touch with you? And 
like who do you work with only people in the local area new york area or can you work out of state yeah so start with the last question um you know i focus predominantly in the tri-state area but i mean i do have clients in maine and new hampshire to utah and california florida and everywhere in between um and you know the way i see it is obviously money is something that's so personal that this is you know both what you and I do is such a very, very personal business. At the end of the day, folks are only gonna work with someone they feel comfortable with, someone that they know and they like and they trust and they feel comfortable with. So if you know someone doesn't feel comfortable working with me for whatever reason, I'm more than happy to say, that's okay. That's totally fine, I understand. Um, there's another 200 advisors at our firm who all are extremely competent. And I still believe Bernstein is the right model for you. I will certainly tell someone if I don't think Bernstein is the right uh, solution for them. Um, but at the end of the day, it, it doesn't, to me, it doesn't matter about geography. It matters about personality. fit. I think that's the most important thing. So long story short, I have clients through, throughout the continental US. Um, and then in order to find me, there's, uh, we have our Bernstein website, which I'll share a link to uh, of my bio. Um, I, on LinkedIn, it's not too hard to find me. There's not too many Daniel Axelrods. Um, <laughs> what is the Bernstein website? Just for people listening in case they, they, they really want to just, you know, remember it. Yeah. So if you just Google search Daniel Axelrod Bernstein or Daniel Axelrod Bernstein private wealth, the first Google link that will come up will be a link to my bio has my contact information there as well. Um, and you know, you'll learn a little bit about me as well. Awesome. That's, that's good SEO results right there. Yeah. <laughs> they put, they put a lot of work behind that. <laughs> um, so that's great. And that's awesome. And, and I, you hit a, the nail on the head. I say that regarding, you know, relationships matter and that relationships of the professionals you choose, people choose to help them get through life transitions, such as a divorce matter, whether it's an attorney, a financial uh, a wealth planner, or a coach, you know, if, you don't feel comfortable with that person, then that's not, not the right fit for you. Um, and, and that is half the battle, finding that right fit. So Dan, thanks so much for being on the show. It was great. You dropped some nuggets of gold, as I like to say. And uh, I appreciate you being a guest. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Jason, for having me. I really appreciate it. All right. I hope you had a, a nice uh, listen there with Daniel Axelrod, um, where he talked about how he helps people plan keyword plan for your future from a financial point of view it's all about planning just like anything if you want it to go well preparation and planning half the battle maybe even more but if you are looking for help with your divorce and you're looking to hire a coach check me out jason at jasonlavoy.com is my email address jasonlavoy.com is the website where you can find out all the information you need to know about me if you like what you're listening with this podcast please subscribe. You get all new episodes when they come out. And if you have a second, I would love it if you would write a kind review on iTunes for me. In the meantime, all I'm going to ask you to do is be strong, act confident, and stay positive. I'm Jason Lavoy, aka The Divorce Resource Guy, and I'll be seeing you real soon.